Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi, everyone. Today, we are going to talk about the Chinese live streaming industry, as embodied by a few companies, including one of which just went IPO, and a few others about to go IPO. The one that went IPO is the Twitch of China, and the few that are going IPO, I'm not sure they have a large U.S. equivalent. The president's key economic team goes to China. Uh, after a whole night thinking, I say I still want to do it. Hi, everyone. We are Tech Buzz China by Pan Daily, powered by the Seneca Podcast Network. We are a new weekly podcast focused on bringing you the most interesting, relevant, and buzzworthy headlines in China tech. We are part of Pandaily.com, a new English language site that tells you everything about China's innovation. I'm one of your two co-hosts, Ray Ma, and I live in San Francisco. And yes, I'm still sick. And I'm your other co-host, Yingying Liu. We'd like to give a shout out to some of our fans, John Yang, Alex Ford, Lauren DeReeb, Jun Chu, and Lorna Diwa. Thank you guys so much. All right, so on to live streaming. That's a big topic. How should we start? I suggest we start with an industry overview. Then we can go into the demographic and cultural trends that support growth. And finally, we can go into the details of these live streaming companies themselves. What do you think? Okay, let's do that. So everyone understands live streaming, right? In the U.S. here, we had companies like Ustream, which is now IBM Cloud Video in the early days, and then Meerkat, remember that one? And Periscope and Facebook Live. Yeah, it went from mostly web-based to mobile. And the same change has happened in China. According to Frost & Sullivan, mobile live streaming MAU went from just 5.6 million in 2012 to 176 million in 2017. For those of you doing math, that's a 31-fold increase, meaning the number of users were roughly doubling every year. Yeah, but even more impressive than that was the market size, which went from 16 million USD to 4 billion in the same period. That's almost a 250-time increase. The market was pretty much tripling every year. For those of you who thought ride-hailing and bike-sharing were the big Chinese tech stories of the last few years, not at all. It's true. Even if you look at our past few episodes, video entertainment in general has been a dominant theme. ByteDance, aka Toutiao, being a key player. They showed up in our first episode and also were featured prominently in our episode on Tencent, in which top VC Hans Tang of GGV Capital referred to it as a company that Tencent should maybe consider acquiring to stock up on some mojo. Yeah, I get it. Live streaming is definitely a thing. But why is it so popular in China? Well, it started from the diaosi culture. Okay, so diaosi literally means male pubic hair. 
and it's a self-mocking term meaning losers, or generally young people with little social mobility in China. It basically refers to mediocrity in every way, in looks, jobs, and definitely financial standing. These people could be migrant workers or just average people in China barely scraping by. It started off referring to men for obvious reasons, but now it just refers to the whole culture. If you check Wikipedia, it's likened to the American term redneck, but I think it's actually pretty different. The idea is that it's a term that people know is derogatory, but they feel fierce identification with it all the same. Yep, and as the meme grew, it came to really embody anyone who felt like they were marginalized in Chinese society. So it had this really hopeless ring to it. But then came live streaming, which gave them hope. And this is how live streaming works in China. It's really based on virtual goods. The streamer gets in front of a webcam and microphone and does whatever it is that they do: singing, telling jokes, and now more and more playing video games. You can come into the channel and buy them virtual gifts like digital roses or cars, yachts, special effects to take over the screen for real money. I'm guessing most of our listeners are going to find this silly. I certainly can't fathom buying virtual roses for anyone, but imagine that you're a diaosu with little going for you in life, and you are very lonely. And voila! Out of the murky depths of the interwebs, there's a live streamer you identify with. Maybe speaks your language a little, has your sense of humor, and you are poor. But you aren't so poor you can't spend like three dollars on fake roses and have the streamer acknowledge your existence and say thank you for the roses, Diaosu sir. Well, yeah. Now, obviously, we aren't Diaosu, but as far as we can tell, that's kind of how the industry started—fairly innocuous, right? Yes. But then, what happens when you have thousands of Diaosu fans in the same room? Roses don't get you a mention anymore. To get a mention, maybe you need to buy a virtual car or a yacht or special effects. And these, my friends, cost real money—maybe one thousand dollars, maybe ten thousand dollars for a virtual item. So all you get is a shout out. Well, not just any shout out. Shout out in front of thousands, maybe tens of thousands of fans. Isn't that the basic concept of fame? Okay, but Diaosu are throwing away thousands of dollars at their favorite live streamers. How are they getting this money? Well, and this is where we really heavily relied on the research of Wu Hao, a Chinese documentary filmmaker whose latest film is on live streaming. So a real Diaosu doesn't actually have that amount of money, nor can they really sustain it. But when certain rich people got into the game, things changed. Some people might be rich, but they're not famous. However, in a popular live streamer's room, they can throw around a few thousand dollars and get thousands of others to agree that, wow, they are really a big deal. That's amazing. So now the rich and the poor are hooked in it together. That's how it started. But as it grew into a multi-billion-dollar market, it got a lot more complicated than that. It's actually an entire economy with agencies, promoters, awards shows, and more. Too much detail to cover on our show, so you'll have to watch Wu Hao's film *Republic of Desire* when it comes out later this year for the full story. Yes, but back to the technology companies that deliver this experience. The biggest is YY, which is Nasdaq listed and has a market cap of over six billion dollars. It was founded back in 2005 as a gaming portal, but now makes a majority of its revenues from live streamer virtual gifting. Last year, YY had live streaming revenues of 1.6 billion and operating income of 400 million. This is U.S. dollars. Over 16 million users paid an average of 96 dollars on its platform. This is also the platform that Hao's film focuses on. 
A few years back, YY started working on video game live streaming and called it Huya, H-U-Y-A. I think this is probably easier for our listeners to understand because the U.S. equivalent is Twitch, which was bought by Amazon a few years ago for about a billion dollars. And Huya just IPO'd on May 11th on the New York Stock Exchange, raising 180 million U.S. dollars at $12 per share. It was a great IPO, not only because the company price was near the high end of its range, but it had a first day pop of 34%. So being a spinoff, Huya has YY as a controlling shareholder. But it also has, guess who? That's right, Tencent as a major shareholder. That's right. Tencent bought 34% of Huya in March. They also have this contract in place to buy up to 50.1% between March 8th, 2020 and 2021. I told you Tencent hasn't lost its mojo. It's also a major investor in Douyud, Huya's biggest competitor. It's got this space covered. Listen to episode 5 if you're confused about what I mean. Based on these two weeks of post-IPO performance, the stock is now at $20, and it looks like Tencent made a really smart investment. Huya's average monthly active users, MAUs, rose 30% to more than 80 million in 2017, while its mobile MAUs surged nearly 75% to 36 million. The average time spent daily on its mobile app is now 98 minutes. It has about 610,000 broadcasters. Twitch, for your reference, is bigger, but not a ton bigger. From what we can find, it's got over 100 million MAU, 16 million DAU, and over 2 million broadcasters. We don't know its revenue numbers, though. But what we do know is that Huya had 340 million in revenues in 2017, and that 95% of it was from virtual gifts, with the remainder coming from advertising and other services. It did have losses of $12 million, but that's pretty close to profitability. And now we go from Huya, which is video game streaming, back to the entertainment live streaming that got YY so big in the first place. Because there are not one, but two companies who have filed to go IPO in this space. Yeah, one of them is Yinke, who filed back in March to list in Hong Kong, and the other is M17, which is looking to go public in the U.S., Although the two are really different because while Yinke focuses on China, M17 is in Taiwan, Hong Kong, and Japan. And Yinke has only been around since 2015. Oh my gosh, it's barely three years old. Yeah, I'd say it was the darling of the Chinese internet industry for all of 2015 and 16. It made a profit on an adjusted basis of over $120 million last year on revenues of over $600 million and it had 25 million MAU at the end of 2017. Basically, 100% of its revenues, okay, like 99.4%, are from live streaming. That's impressive. How does it compare to this other company, M17, that's also filed? So the story of M17 is that it merged with a Singapore-based dating company a few years back, but now has 90% of its revenues from live streaming. It's significantly smaller in terms of revenue at only $90 million in 2017, and it's seriously unprofitable with an operating margin of negative 49%. But unlike Inke and most of the Chinese platforms, which gets about $100 in revenues per active paying user, M17 is at $335. That's crazy. I really don't get it. Should we just become live streamers, Ray? Well, funny you say that because we're sort of personally benefiting from this live streaming boom. These mics that we're using, they used to cost 10x what we got them for. 
all because live streaming became so hot in China, and the, all the manufacturers got in on it. So you can buy pretty high quality stuff for cheap. But what about actually, you know, streaming? Remember Hal's documentary? That life ain't easy. You're right. To make really big bucks, the live streamers needed to sign to an agency, and a lot of them put their own money to buy themselves gifts in order to go up the popularity charts. But beyond that, many of them don't seem to go outside very often and live the lives of vampires. That's because many live streamers are active at night when their viewers are not working. Yeah, and to get more viewers, some live streamers have resorted to really dangerous tactics: streaming themselves doing things like playing pranks, dangerous stunts, or straight up committing crimes. Whatever it takes to get more views. But this has obviously led to bad outcomes. The Chinese government has stepped in and demanded that unsavory content be removed from these platforms. Yeah, it goes back to the bigger effort of content policing that we mentioned way back in episode one, when a huge content community owned by Toutiao called Neihan Duanzi was shut down due to this quote-unquote unsavory content. And that's why in every one of these IPO prospectuses, you see regulatory risk as a primary risk factor. Not just on content, but the government is always coming out with new regulations regarding real name registration, virtual gifting, etc. All adding friction or cost to these companies. That and it's not clear we aren't at the end of the hype cycle for live streaming. If, for example, Inke saw their MAU fall from 30 to 25 million from the end of 2016 to 17, and there are plenty of skeptics who don't see how this is all sustainable. Because at the end of the day, the streamers are really just asking for viewers to give them more and more money. Some of them are talented, yes, but for entertainment, I'd rather watch professional performers. And most of that you can still watch for free, just not live. It's hard to say what happens once you remove the vanity aspect of the business, because the viewers aren't really paying to reward the streamer, but they're doing it to get the streamer's attention and the attention of the rest of the room as well. So they're paying to get a higher, albeit virtual, social status that they can't have in the real world. How long does that really last? It might work better in the video game world than with just jokes and singing and stupid pranks. That's my opinion, of course. Well, lots of companies are still going at it pretty hard. Besides YY, Yinke, and M17, there's publicly listed Momo. Which started off as a dating slash social networking app, but it's now mostly live streaming as well. And on the video gaming side, Huya and Douyu are followed by a long list of platforms too. I think that these are going to do better in the long run because they probably will have less controversial content. And I personally rather watch a good Fortnite player than a mediocre singer. I've got my own karaoke machine. Hey, Yinke's slogan is "We are the live streaming social network where good-looking people hang out." Are you suggesting we get on it? Do you think we'll make the cut? <laughs> well, it depends on how many of our listeners are also live stream viewers. Let us know what you think, guys, about this industry and why you are or are not bullish. As an entire generation has come of age on social media, virtual relationships are slowly replacing real-life human connections, and China has taken it to an extreme. Here, live streaming has become the most popular online entertainment for hundreds of millions. People's Republic of Desire provides a journey into this digital universe, where young performers earn as much as 150,000 U.S. dollars a month singing, dancing, or doing talk shows to live, interactive audiences of tens of thousands. 
Their fans include China's super rich, who each night lavish virtual gifts on their favorite performers, and the dirt poor, many of them migrant workers in urban areas, who are searching for a cheap way to be entertained and to feel connected. We'd like to give a shout out to our partners at SubChina. In addition to our podcast here with Pan Daily, they publish the excellent Seneca Podcast, a weekly discussion of current affairs on China with journalists, writers, academics, policymakers, and business people. So while we only focus on tech, they really give you the entire overview. SubChina, hand in hand with GGV, also publishes the GGV Nine Nine Six Podcast, which interviews top leaders in China tech and investment. Go take a listen. Okay, that's all for this week, folks. Thanks for listening. We really enjoyed putting this together, and are always open to any comments or suggestions. You can find us on Twitter at the Pan Daily, and my personal Twitter account is Rayma. That's spelled R U I M A, and my Twitter is spelled G I N Y G I N Y. Again, we'll be back here the same time next week. Tech Buzz China by Pan Daily is powered by the Seneca Podcast Network. PanDaily.com is a new English language site that tells you everything about China's innovation. Our producers are Carol Yin and Kaiser Guo.